Hey guys, welcome to our 10 episode deep dive of the Gulf Shores, Alabama market. I'm your host, Avery Carl, and I wanted to let you know really quick before we get started that we do have some supplemental materials for you to go along with this podcast on our website, theshorttermshop.com. So what we have there is the current purchase prices in this market. So you can set up, set yourself up a search, look at properties, do all that fun real estate stuff, like kind of like Zillow, we've got it on our website and you can check out exactly how much it costs to buy a condo or single family home or townhouse in the Gulf Shores market right now. Also to go along with that, we have the AirDNA data, thanks to our friends over at AirDNA for this market for the past few years. So you can compare purchase prices versus the AirDNA data and kind of do some analysis there. We've also got a really cool calculator on the website that I built around short-term rental investing to go along with all these things. Or if you know you wanna buy in Gulf Shores and you're ready to start talking to an agent, you can reach out to us at agents at theshorttermshop.com and we'll get you connected with our agent in Gulf Shores. And last but not least, if you just really like us and you want to hang out with us more, we'd love to see more of you. So there's a few ways you can do that. You can join our Facebook group. It's called Short-Term Rental, Long-Term Wealth, same title as my book. It's a community of over 60,000 investors sharing best practices and just kind of uh, being friends with each other. It's pretty cool. Or if you want to talk to us in person, you can do that every Thursday. You can sign up at strquestions.com. We have a one hour lunch hour, just office hours where you can ask us anything you want about short-term rental investing. So we appreciate you guys listening and please reach out to us with any questions. Follow us on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook. Join us in our community on Facebook as well. And uh, I guess we'll get to the episode now. Thanks guys. Hey y'all, welcome to episode three of our limited series on investing in Gulf Shores. I almost forgot what market I was talking about. Sorry about that. Uh, I've got the same cast of characters as episode one and two, except we're adding Mr. John Bianchi to the mix. John, you introduce yourself. Uh, sounds good. Thanks, Avery, for having me. I love doing these uh, little mini series on these different markets. Um, my name is John Bianchi. I'm the Airbnb data guy. I am the head of data for TechFester, which is the largest short-term rental investment fund in America. I also have my own Airbnb data consulting company where I help people find profitable properties. And I have a bunch of free courses on YouTube as well. Um, so yeah, that's, I pretty much live and breathe Airbnb data. That's all I do. All right. Just the person we need for an episode like this. So Let's dive into it. So guys, uh, just as a disclaimer, we're only talking about income numbers on this episode. We are talking about expenses in the next episode. So don't come away from this episode going, well, they didn't say anything about expenses. We got a whole episode of that for y'all. So we're just talking about income here. And we have a few just quick definitions we want to go over that a lot of investors throw around when they're talking about analyzing these things. Uh, cash on cash return, cap rate, NOI, a bunch of different things. So does anyone, anybody, anybody, I try to say anyone and anybody at the same time, <laughs> want to take a stab at um, what cash on cash return is where I can. I can, if you want. Okay. I mean, go I, for it, Tim. All right. So cash on cash is basically when you look at your, your total uh, net number from a specific year, usually, you know, a lot of people look at it in year one and divide it into the total amount of, of money that you put into that property. So you take uh 
uh, your total net and divide it by what you what you put in and it'll kick out kick you out a percentage and that's your cash on cash return. So it's a great it's a great way to measure like a, a snap in time. I, I use it. I don't think it's the end all be all. Um, you know, because people sometimes were like, oh, is this this year? Is this is this different? It, it changes all the time, you know. And uh, so it's a great way to, to like when you're buying a new property, you get a snapshot of what it looks like on that day. So uh, it's fantastic, just kind of a, a measuring stick of, of a property. And for short-term rentals, it's, it's a great measuring stick because it's just kind of a knowing where you're at and uh, gives you a point of reference for making improvements and things like that. So, All right. And that is typically uh, the, the best. There's no exact perfect way to measure the performance of a short-term rental, but cash on cash return is kind of the best we have at the moment until somebody comes up with a new formula. And I want, um, I want to do it. I want to touch on that a little more. Okay. Sorry. I, okay, I, go I, ahead. No, it wasn't super clear. So uh, when I say the amount of money you put in, it is not the purchase price. It is your, like what the money you put your down payment essentially. And then any other, uh, upfront costs. Usually it's usually your down payment and your closing costs is usually what goes into cash on cash. So it's the cash out of your pocket you spent, not not the purchase price. I just wanted to clarify that. So out of curiosity, Tim, would you also include your uh furniture costs in that and any renovation costs? Um it it kind of depends. I'll, I'll say loosely yes, but generally most of the properties that we're looking at are pretty turnkey. Uh if you're looking at a, a renovation, then yes, I do I do kind of figure that in. You know, if you're looking at planning on a renovation right out of the get-go, then yes. Okay. Yeah. So that's a really, really good point. Tim, so if you guys are looking at a value add property, and it's really important to not try to mix different strategies and different ways to measure things because you're almost always going to be wrong in one area or another. You kind of can't have everything. But if you're buying a value add property that needs 20,000, 30,000 worth of work, but when you're done, you'll be able to make X amount more and the property will be worth a hundred thousand more. Well, your cash on cash returns not going to look really good if you've got a right. 30 to $50,000 uh, renovation right out of the gate. So if you're doing something like that, cash on cash return in year one is probably not what you're going to want to look at. So I've seen people who say, you know, I want to do a value add, but this is my first investment. And they're like, well, I can't make the cash on cash return number numbers work. Well, that's because of the value add. So do it year two. Um, really, Another really thing on that thing too is, it, it, you know, that can vary wildly on how you finance the property. If you go into a value add property and the bank, like if it's a major one and the bank knows it, you're not going to be getting a normal loan and you might even be using like a rehab type loan. So again, that money may not even be coming out of your pocket. You know, it could be part of the loan structure when you're buying a property like that. And I've done several of those myself, you know, so, you know, in that case, you don't take such a beating because it's not coming, you know, it's part of your loan. It all gets rolled up into it. So it just depends. Yeah. Yeah. And another another one that a lot of people use is cap rate. And I'm not going to get too far in the weeds on this because I don't want to confuse any, any listeners, but cap rate is a way to measure the profitability of a property. It typically is best utilized in commercial real estate. Short-term rentals are still residential real estate as of today. That could potentially change in the future as the asset class continues to grow and establish itself. But in commercial real estate, the appraisal value of a property is determined by the income of that property. And that's what cap rate measures. So the higher the cap rate, which is determined by the income and a few other things, um, the higher the cap rate, the more the property is worth in commercial. When you come over here to residential, which is where short-term rentals are, the appraisal value of a property is determined based on residential sold comps. So if you have two houses next door to each other, one makes 100000 a year and one is not a rental at all, makes $0. And the not rental just sold for X amount, 
the rental is also worth X amount because it's based on residential sold comps. So it's kind of a weird asset class because yes, the income can determine how much an investor will pay for a property. But as far as the appraisal value is concerned with the bank, it's still appraised based on residential sold comps. So while it can help to know what the cap rate of a property is, it really doesn't matter as much as when you're as when you're looking at cash on cash return. Um, another thing that God, y'all, sorry with the ums today. I've been off for a few weeks, so I'm trying to get <laughs> back into it. So uh, let's talk about cash flow because cash flow you can either invest based on what your cash on cash return is going to be or what the cash flow is going to be, and they are inversely proportionate to one another. So does anybody want to take that, or I can? Well, it's kind of exactly what you just said. I mean, if you put the more money you put down, it actually hurts your your cash on cash calculation because you're putting more money, you know, that your net is probably going to stay about the same, no matter how much money you put down. So it hurts your cash on cash calculation. However, because you're putting down so much more, typically your mortgage is going to be less or even zero if you pay all cash for the property. So that would, you know, your cash flow in your hand is going to be more that way where conversely, like you said, if you do a, a minimal amount down, um, and use, uh, you know, leverage the property completely, your cash on cash is going to look fantastic, but you may have little to no cash flow. So it is a, it is a very fine balancing act. Now, I, it's another one of those things where there's not a wrong answer other than what is important to you. You know, I mean, I've had a lot of clients that go on both sides of that fence. I've had clients that like, they don't even care about the cash flow because they're in it for other reasons. And I've had clients that that's all they care about is the cash flow. So cash on cash, you know, they may not have a lot to put in up front. You know, it's just, it's a balancing act. You got to figure out what's right for you. So, but you're right. It, it, it's one or the other. I had a client that just closed on a four bedroom and uh, before the summer, and he didn't have enough time to do what he wanted to do during the summer, but he was going to close in this other area and make it a five bedroom. So during the off season, he's going to be spending more cash in his first year. So it is going to affect his cash on cash return, no doubt, to, to do that reno renovation or the upgrade. But next year, he's going to make significantly more money by doing by adding an extra room. So is it a bad thing that he's getting a bad, uh, not as good cash on cash this year? I mean, I don't think so, because next year it's going to look pretty good. I think that nails why it's important to understand the metrics, but don't live and die on one, you know, just understand what they are. And you got to use that as a tool to help you make decisions, you know, it's, but there's not a singular, this is the absolute, you know, yes or no answer to Am I going to buy this property? Right, right. And you might change which metric you use over the course of your investing career. So when I first started and we were scraping pennies out of the bottom of my purse and like out of our cars and stuff to make down payments, the cash and cash was really important to us because we needed as much leverage as possible because we didn't have the cash to make big down payments. Now that we've been doing this a long time, we've got a lot of properties, we've got more cash available to invest in things. We're really more concerned with cash flow and how much is this going to add to our monthly income per month than the actual cash on cash return. And uh, I've seen, I had a client one time who they wanted to put down 30%. They said, we're going to put 30% down because we want to increase our cash flow. We said, great. And they said, but I can't find any deals that are above like X cash on cash return. We're like, well, it's because you're putting down 30%. Cut that to 20 or cut it to 15 and your cash on cash return will double. So you kind of can't have the best of both there. You kind of have to decide which one is the most important. And um, also in terms of finding deals, it's years ago in the early adoption days of self-managed short-term rental properties, there were 
deals just laying around on the MLS that would do 40, 50% cash on cash return before there were a lot of sophisticated operators and self-managers around. Now that the asset class is really, really established, it's really, it's more similar to investing in multifamily in terms of finding deals than it used to be. And here's what I mean by that. So in multifamily, you're not going to go find an apartment building in most cases that has a really high cap rate. But what you can find is an apartment building that needs some updates that you can increase that rent to then increase the cap rate. So you're looking for the opportunity rather than the whatever's laying around doing X amount. Same thing now with short-term rentals. You're not necessarily going to find that super high cash-on-cash return property just sitting there already performing at that level, but you can find opportunities to buy a property that can get to that level. You just have to look for the opportunity of the deal rather than what it's doing right this second. Yeah, I like to use the the word, you know, income potential. You know, you're looking for what, you know, not just what 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 it stands today, but what's the income potential of this once I get my hands on it and do our thing to it and put our own personal spin to it. So I like that word. Yeah. Which I just want to mention. That's my entire world. That's all I do. Income potential. (laughs) Income potential. Trying to find the, uh, the best potential property that you can get used to be easy, but now it's not. And so you really have to understand the data to be able to make a good decision based off of like what you're looking, what other people are doing. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah, So John, let's hear from you. Let's first hear from how you have looked at and analyzed the data kind of what your process is, and then we'll move into some more specific questions. Okay. So for myself, I always uh, pull a report for every area that I look into and it's my own reports. So I pull those reports out and, um, you know, I'm able to see all the data from each different location and, and bedroom size. And so I always like to look at all of the data at a bedroom by bedroom count. And then what I like to do is go through um, who's front, uh, I like to go through a certain bedroom count. So that's like all the four bedrooms and I go from who's making the most to who's making the least. And what I'll do is I'll analyze each one of the homes to try and figure out why some people are making more than others. And really what I'm just looking for is some sort of pattern to tell me what my home needs to look like to be able to hit an X amount of revenue. Right. And, um, as an example, you know, going through the four bedrooms for the Gulf Shores area, um, to make over $100,000, you have to have a home that's along the water in some sort of way. At least that's what I was seeing with the data that I was doing with the research that I was doing, right? Um, and then if you were to make a little bit under 100000 sort of between that like seventy five to $100,000, um, you're, you're starting to see homes that are more so in these like HOA communities, a little bit further off the water, but they've got a pool. They're kind of all very similar. They're in a little shared area, right? Um, and that's where you're kind of getting revenue or homes that are getting those that revenue, right? And so I'm doing that first to get a feel of what the homes look like, what's working, what's not, right? And then what I'm trying to do is I'm always trying to figure out what is the absolute best thing to purchase within this area. So I'm now that I know what the homes look like and how much revenue they're driving, I'll then go onto Zillow and I'll take a look at how much those homes cost, right? And I'll try and figure out where's the biggest inefficiency. In other words, like where can I make the most amount of revenue for the least amount of dollars in? And I'll do this across all the different bedroom counts to try and figure out where the most opportunity is. And uh, as a as a quick summary, if I were to be going into Gulf Shores, I probably would be looking for a two bedroom condo that had waterfront views because two bedroom, two bath condo that had waterfront views that was designed really well because from what I was seeing, um, that they were reasonably priced and they had a very consistent revenue potential. Meaning that um, you know a two bedroom could almost make as much as a three bedroom, if not more, for whatever reason, right? It always tends to be the 
The reason is usually based off of the type of guests that are traveling there. Um, so in other words, it's it's like a small family. They only have one, they only need two rooms and they're just looking for a great condo and they're going to get a two bedroom and they end up renting out that one. Right. Um, so anyways, that's sort of my, my process and where I landed when it came to what I thought was the best. Um, I can go into more detail, but I'm trying not to. <laughs> so I'm trying to keep it uh, simple. But uh, if you want to ask any additional questions, just let me know. Hey, hey, John, I got a uh, thanks for all that info. That's great. I, I got a follow up question just to like Tim has a one bedroom. Correct me if I'm wrong, but it has built in bunks. Uh, right. So I have noticed that the numbers that, that I've seen from people managing those can be comparable to two bedrooms. Have What's your thought on that? So I, I think did. that falls into sleeping capacity. You know, it's a mm. one bedroom with built in bunk beds in a hallway, which acts kind of like a second bedroom. And then it's got one and a half bathrooms. So it kind of falls into that. It's tickling a two bedroom. So I yeah, tickling a two bedroom. That's <laughs> I, I like the that. word tickle. So I use a lot. <laughs> just pictured a one bedroom tickling a two bedroom. <laughs> um, no, well, you can, def- from what I was seeing with the data, you can with a one bedroom definitely make as much as a two bedroom, but it kind of goes to what Tim was just saying, where it's like, you're, you're almost tickling a two bedroom, right? Like you're getting really close to it. Um, with the, the occupancy and like what you're doing. So I definitely see the potential there. Now, mind you, I don't have any homes there. So I haven't analyzed the data for like weeks on end. Um, I'm doing my, my, my process of like trying to get a good grip of the location before we hop on this call. Right. And, um, what I was noticing and Tim, you'd probably be better or John, Jonathan, you'd probably better at this as well is I was actually seeing that the one bedrooms were almost the same price as the two bedrooms and the, but the, but the one bedroom revenue was consistently more so like $20,000 less on average, right? I'm not saying that a one bedroom couldn't do as well as a two bedroom, but I'm just seeing on average they're a little bit lower. So are you seeing that one bedrooms are fairly close to two bedrooms for purchase price? It's, it's very dependent on the complex. There are some that are pretty significantly off, which I feel like there is some value there. If it's a pretty good bit off of the purchase price from a, Two bedroom, but there are certain instances where they're they're pretty close in price. Yeah, it seemed like that when I was going through, and I just you know once again quick glance, but I was looking at I'm like, man, I'd be getting a two bedroom for sure, right? And then the but the three bedrooms seemed quite a bit more expensive. Um, the three and, bedrooms definitely are more a good bit more expensive than the twos, right? So then therefore the twos being the best potential thing, right? Because the three bedrooms are so much more, and the one bedrooms are kind of close to the two bedrooms, but the two bedrooms have a lot of revenue potential. But once again, if I'd be doing it, I'd be just trying to get that one that had the oceanfront view, kind of like where you can take a photo of the living room and the entire screen to the outdoor is all blue. You know what I mean? Because it can, it's all just staring right at the water. Um, so anyways, that would be my, my go for, for that area. I like that. I like that a lot because that means this is an area that you can, it, it's a blue chip area, but you can still get into it without having to go over a million necessarily, which a lot of blue chip markets are like now. Yeah. That was the the part that was kind of getting me where I'm like, okay, well, these homes, you know, at the top, the best of the best, the four bedrooms, five bedrooms, you know, even the single family, three bedrooms, they look amazing. They're on the water. They're producing a good amount of revenue, but I'm, but I'm looking at how much they cost. I'm like, well, this is sort of this is for the person that's not looking for cash flow. Let's put it that way. If you if you want one of those homes, you're not you're not looking for cash flow. Um, but if you're one of the uh, you know somebody who is looking for cash flow, that two bedroom is probably what makes the most sense. So that's my take. I love are we, that. Are we also discussing Orange Beach on this or just Gulf yes. Shores? Yeah. Okay. So what do you got? So Orange Beach, I actually was looking up the data for there as well, obviously. Um, and when I was looking at the home values, it looked like the the two bedrooms 
were literally like a hundred to two hundred thousand dollars more on average than in Gulf Shores. Is that accurate? Well, they're they're pretty scarce when it comes to housing in Orange Beach is available. And and yes, one of them's like Beach Village Resort. Those two bedrooms are definitely up to the prices of many, even three, you know, three bedroom really nice condos um, and some three bedroom houses even in Gulf Shores. So yes, the uh I would say that they are uh more expensive in Orange Beach for sure. Okay. So that's what I was seeing as well. But then the revenue wasn't much higher. It wasn't like, you know, you you spend an extra $100,000 in Orange Beach and you make the proportionate amount more. It seemed like, so in other words, Gulf Shores two bedroom just seemed to be the the thing to purchase within the entire area. I'm not trying to say that nothing else was worth purchasing, but my job is always to try and figure out like what's the best, right? And so that's where I, that's where I kind of landed as to what I thought was the best. What's the second best? Uh, Probably a... Th- Hmm, that's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to jump right into it. But I'm like, a one bedroom it. that tickles a two bedroom. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> tickling one bedroom. <laughs> tickling one bed. Um, that or a three, that or like a three bedroom condo. I don't know. So the like the coolest real estate to own down there is obviously a single family home, right? Uh maybe the second best. If you if you say you didn't want to go with a condo, then what I would be looking at is a three bedroom, um, probably in an HOA. So not on the water. Uh, not and sort of in an HOA had some sort of community pool was not, not too far of a walk to the beach so you're still like walking potential but you're not you're not like looking out at the beach right um and I would go three bedroom because honestly like the the single family homes that were three bedrooms compared to fours and fives there was not a huge difference in the amount of revenue being made between them and you want to see a huge difference if you're paying up quite a bit more to go for to a four to a five right so therefore, if you can get a three and still make a good amount of revenue, just get the three, right? Um, and then once again, like being walking distance rather than like on the beach is a lot cheaper, more affordable. And if you're in the HOA, you're going to have the community pool. So to me, that was like sort of the sweet spot where I was like, you because I did find a four bedroom home that was under a million that had the potential to almost hit a hundred thousand. And it's like, well, that's a nice combo. You know what I mean? In comparison to the $2 million on the beach home, that's not uh, going to cash flow for you at all. So anyways. I agree with the off the, you know, off the ocean or off the Gulf, you know, walking distance for a family home. I mean, you that the, the, on the, on the water single family home is by no arguments, the second piece of property you can get but from a yeah. just sex appeal, you know, but I mean, from an investment standpoint, I go on, I think going back is a, a lot better. Agreed. And um, there's something else I was going to say on that as well. Oh, if you're going to do that, I always, like strongly recommend that you have a sort of like a drone shot image or even just like Google satellite screenshot and then show how far away of a walk you are to the beach. I think that's a that's a game changer uh, thing that you can show, because like if you can't see the beach from your from the home, but you're still walking distance, make sure people know that so that they're like, OK, well, this is still like a lot closer and it's a fraction of the cost of this other home. You know what I mean? That is on the beach. So it's like, we just take five minutes to walk there. I always see that one as a, an important image to have. I agree. I, I have a question for you, John. On these houses you looked at, did you look into Fort Morgan also, or is it just within the city of Gulf Shores and Orange Beach? I actually just did Gulf Shores and Orange Beach. So oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. I was just curious because there's some houses like in Fort Morgan, if you go to the West, there's a bunch of houses that a lot of my clients are hitting really nice numbers that are not in the HOAs or anything, but they just have really good beach access. Uh, they're just on these little streets very far West. I mean, there's really nothing around them. I mean, there is Tacky Jackson, some restaurants, but they just pet friendly uh, rentals and they do incredibly well uh, from, from what my clients are reporting. Interesting. I, I, Wish I did a little more research. I'd have a better uh, take on it. But 
No, I agree. I mean, and it's, it, like it's it's weird down there because you go from Orange Beach to Gulf Shores to Fort Morgan, and the landscape quickly changes, and and uh, just the whole feel of it changes. And uh, the the single families are definitely more favored the further towards Fort Morgan and into Fort Morgan you get. So interesting. Um, cool. I I wish I looked more into it. I wish I, I wish I could. Get oh no, this is great info. Now. I just was curious if you had looked at Fort Morgan. Yeah. Um, there was something else I wanted to add add in here too, and and this is sort of the part that. I feel like it's missed the most when it comes to analyzing comps is people look at like four bedrooms and they'll go, well, you know, this place has four bedrooms. I have four bedrooms. Therefore I'm going to make the same amount of money. I know that's an oversimplification and not everybody does that, but um, my job is to figure out first off, once again, what's the best thing to purchase within that market. But then how do you hit the revenue target with that home? Like what does it need to do? And that really comes down to design amenities, photos, those sort of things. Right. Which to me are uh, it's, they're not numbers, but they're, their data, right? It's a different kind of data. Um, and it's as important as everything else. And so the reason I'm bringing it up is because I actually like tried to find a superior listing in Gulf Shores, like an amazing, beautiful, well put together listing that wasn't a, a, a home along the beach, right? And the interesting thing was that there literally was none. I, I found one that was like on the edge of what I would consider to be really good. Now, mind you, I didn't go every, through every single last listing. I just, I tend to just stay right to those like high performing ones. Cause I'm very curious, but what I'm talking about, like beautiful, perfect listing. I mean, the design is very strategically well thought out design. Um, there's, they've gone above and beyond with their amenities and the sort of features that they put together. And they, they've like put a lot of effort to create a great experience for this. And the reason I'm bringing this up is because if you go to like some of the top tier markets, like Scottsdale and Gatlinburg, like these listings nowadays are over the top and they're really providing an amazing design and experience and everything. And that's allowing them to make more money. Right. And, um, and so I always try to find one of those within a market because then that tells me what amenities and design are actually working within that area. And I couldn't find that many that, that actually did it. There was one that was good. I had a really great design and it actually was at the top. And what I do want to say, um, not a hundred percent certain if this piece of data was accurate, but the second highest comp in my data set for the most money being made in Gulf Shores was actually Bill Face home. And I was so just I, about to say, I'm sure it's one of his. <laughs> yeah, I saw it and I was like, I was like, I recognize this listing. But the issue was the data, the way it looked, there was, I know he does a lot of direct booking, so I don't know how accurate it, it 100% is. Um, but he was, he was one of the only people to have like a fire pit. Uh, he actually had photos of the, his lounge chairs and his pool set up. He had like all these additional amenities and features and designs that I was like, okay, not a lot of people have these. And I know this because I'm looking at all the top properties, right? A lot of people are just relying on the fact that it's on a beach, but it's like, if you can just take it that five steps further, you're going to be able to beat your competition in that area. So with that being said, you're talking about, um, revenue opportunity. Was that the word you used Tim? Yes. Potential. Potential. Revenue potential. potential. Yeah. So I sounds think like there's a lot of opportunity though from bouncing into your opportunity words. That sounds right for uh yeah to do some work. Yeah, that's what I mean, right? So like I was I was intrigued by that. And I was like, I thought Gulf Shores would have some of these like superior listings and that those would be the ones you'd see at the top, but they really didn't. Everyone's just relying on the beach and the walk, how close it is. But I, I truly believe that if you added a lot more to it, you would you would see a difference there. Yeah. So you're you're saying, because I have like three points that I want to ask slash make on this. You're saying that in this blue chip market that a lot of people love to talk about how saturated it is, you're saying there's a ton of opportunity because not everything, not everybody's really like going the extra mile. Yes. So two things on that. One, remind <laughs> me to talk about saturation because I did yes. a whole report on it. <laughs> and then, 
And two, uh, yeah, hundred percent. I, if I'm being honest, I'll call it out. I think that there's a lot of like, okay, listings. I don't think that they're great listings by any means. Like go, like, honestly, go look at Joshua tree, go look at Scottsdale, go look at Gatlinburg and go look at the top of the top listings and what they're doing. You're going to see a difference in comparison to what you're seeing at golf shores. You really are. So yeah. I think there's potential. That's there. exciting to me. Like that's yeah. that, like, it makes, that makes me want to go buy another one and set it up. Yeah. <laughs> Make sure it's a two bedroom condo. I don't <laughs> If you are going to do a, but that's so actually somebody's probably going to hear me say that and be like, well, how do you out amenity a condo? And it's just the design. So if you, if you do get a, if you do get a condo, it's the design and it's the photos and it's like throwing our arc- arcade games in the living room area or something or shuffleboard behind the couch. Right. Just, uh, or, or, adding like turf to the patio and hanging lights and more comfortable seating. And that's like, so that's how you win with a condo, right? Is you just go that extra level. It's, but it's really all the design that matters. And, and I wish I could share listings and, and show you guys. Cause like there is, so there's one listing that did it properly in my opinion. Um, and you can see they're right at the top with everybody else. So, but anyways, we can link that in the show notes too. Yeah. If you want, you want yeah. send it to us. For sure. Okay. So yeah, let's now I have two more points I want to make and I'm saying them out loud. So nobody lets me forget them. I want to hear about the saturation. And then I know a lot of people weren't, didn't have a lot of great amenities for you to maybe pull a full report on that, but what are the top amenities? So you choose which one you want to do first. Okay. Well, I'm going to stick on amenities and then we'll jump over because, uh, you know, we've been going on. So I honestly, first off, I, I kind of mentioned it already, but I would say design is number one. Um, I think that design and photos, uh, I think of the two things that are probably missed the most, especially in these condos, for whatever reason, people get lazy when the peach is right there. You know what I mean? They're like, well, everyone's just going to be hanging out on the beach. You're like, yeah, they are, but they're still going to pay more for your home. If it's a sexier design, if it's a cooler design, if it's properly designed and flows all the way through. So um, design is going to be like the first thing and just because there's not a lot of land. But then the other thing is, uh, um, well, I already mentioned all the condos, so I'm going to focus on single family homes. So if you get a single family home, most of these are on stilts and you've got this bunch of space underneath and it's so underutilized it's not even funny like they have they'll have like a a a picnic table down there and they'll take a couple photos maybe some hanging lights that's it but like if you have that entire area down there created into a little oasis where people can hang out and have a good time and you know on a rainy day be able to spend the day down there still be outside and still get to enjoy things have some sort of like bill faith's got a uh, one of those fire pits that's like a smokeless fire pit right add that down there i think there should be a fire pit in almost every single Airbnb across the board, because it's just something that a lot of people love to do. And so, you know, if you have the space for it, add a fire pit. If you have the space for it, add a, um, you know, lounge area with hanging lights above it and and take really beautiful photos of it. Add some color to it as well. As many hanging lights as you can, you can think. Like if you buy them, just kind of have the thought in your head, like, I think I have too many hanging lights. That's, that would be the right number of hanging lights to have, you know? Um, <laughs> And, and like, I don't know, there's, those are the main things. The way that I kind of think about it is like, you want to get the main things and the main things are the fire pit, the lounge area, the picnic table, the hanging lights. Those are the stuff where it's going to allow for people to socialize and have a good time. Now, if you want to go above and beyond, that's where you're going to get into like the putting green or the potentially a hot tub, which I don't know if it's, I don't know what the temperature is like there, but maybe a hot tub can help extend your, your season a little bit, right? Because maybe it starts to get cold in October, November, and you're like, well, people would enjoy the hot tub a little bit. So it extends your potential to get booked in those timeframes. Um, and, and that's how I'd be thinking about it. So those are the, without continually going into more and more and more amenities, um, I think if they, people just focus on those core ones that I just mentioned, it'll make a difference to their revenue. All I don't right. want to be down or anything here. I just want to make a note. If you are a beachfront condo or beachfront anything, 
watch what lighting you're using. Uh, you can't just put any color lights on. They are very, very strict about because there's some regulations with the sea turtles and stuff. Um, so you can go wild, but there's a certain color light you got to use. So do your research on that. Yeah, over here, it's got to be red or orange. Same, same. That's just if you're beachfront, you know, if you're anything facing the, the sand, it's, it's highly regulated on lights. Yeah. And don't, and bury your holes if you dig holes in the on the beach. But we had over here on 30A, we had recently, like two weeks ago, some kids dug a big hole. And then the next day, a lady was jogging. They didn't obviously didn't fill it back in. And there was like a 200 pound sea turtle upside down in the hole. And mm-hmm. she was still alive. They were able to get her out. But like it took several people to dig this turtle out and it's just not cool so anyway that's beside the point <laughs> Let's yeah, it is, but i'm glad they got it out alive that's nice. yeah yeah, yeah. i They're- just didn't want a thousand people to go out and run and put the uh, bright white lights on their decks of their condos and get it <laughs> yeah that's see this is i always mention this where it's like all the suggestions i always give i don't have local knowledge you know so i'm just kind of like thinking of it from a high level and that's why i love that you know you guys are on this call because you're like hey Remember this, though. You know what I mean? You kind of shoot down and bring it into reality um, of what's possible within those areas. Yes. Data, enemy method, and local agent knowledge are what you the recipe for being able to get a, a good property and not make any mistakes. And well you can said. still make mistakes, but <laughs> yeah, minimize well. mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> well said. Yeah, exactly. Do you want to uh, jump into saturation? Yeah, let's hear about this. Sure. So I found this interesting. This is just Gulf Shores, not Orange Beach, but I'm sure it's fairly similar. Um First, first off, for people who are like, how do you figure out if a market's saturated or not? It's a, it's a supply and demand thing, right? And so you, you can get the revenue and the supply numbers of a market. And so you can figure out how much revenue was made year over year. So is it increasing or decreasing? And you can also figure out how much supply was brought on year over year. So how many new Airbnb listings? And as an example, if the revenue, if the supply increases by 10%, you want the revenue to also increase by 10%. Because that what's happening there is that the total market is still making the exact same amount of money year over year. Okay. It's not a perfect science, but it's close. And so what you want is always for the revenue to either be doing as well as the supply or more. Okay. And so as an example, in um, from how do I explain this? The revenue has been outpacing supply for the past five quarters straight. Okay. So what that means is like Q1 of 2023 compared to Q1 of 2022, the revenue was 20% higher than the revenue, than the supply revenue was 20% higher than the supply, which means that each individual listing was roughly making about 20% more year over year between that time frame. right? If we go to Q4 of 2022 to 2021, it's up 39%. Um, the quarter before that, it's 18%. The quarter before that, it's 8%. The quarter before that was 23%. So it's been, in other words, revenue has just consistently been outpacing the new supply that's going into the Gulf Shores area, which means it's not an oversaturated market at all by any means. So if you're in that market and you're not doing well, it's you, not the market. Just letting you know. <laughs> Hard truth. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry to tell you. Well, I mean, you did say that there's a lot of opportunity. So if you've already got a property, I mean, you've already, you're already halfway there. All you have to do is improve your amenities, improve your listing. And that's not too terribly difficult to do. So I think that this is a really important conversation because so a lot of people talk about Gulf Shores. Uh, there's a lot of people out there um, that, you know, obviously Bill myself, 
that talk about Gulf Shores and a lot of people investing. A lot of, I, I thought there were a lot of sophisticated operators. So this is an area that since it's being talked about a lot, a lot of people want to just say, oh, it's saturated because they hear that word all the time. They hear Gulf Shores all the time. And that's really interesting to hear that it isn't. So my hypothesis, or it's not really a hypothesis, I guess it is, that just because a market has a lot of listings does not mean that it's saturated is true. Of course not. Of course not. That's a, that's a, I mean, New York, as an example, has like a hundred thousand hotel rooms. And when you think that, when you hear that, you're like, yeah, but it's New York. I'm like, yeah, but it's relative, right? So New York, of course, will have millions of visitors every year. So having a hundred thousand hotel rooms, isn't that insane? But then if you just sort of it's the ratio between number of people traveling and the number of spaces to sleep, right? And so as an example, Gulf Shores has enough space for people to sleep, right? Like in, in, in comparison to the number of people who are actually traveling there. And actually the number of listings has decreased as of uh, Q1 of 2023. So it used to oh. be its peak was Q2 of 2022 at 7,600 listings. And now it's down to uh, 6,850 listings. Mm, That's a lot of listings that went down. It is. But at the same time, the revenue is, and that actually could be, so the lowest timeframe where revenue, the outpacing supply, like the the smallest it was, was actually during the peak listings, which would have been 7,600. And it only, the revenue difference is only 8%, right? So that would have been like fairly close, but now it's now it's down to 6,800 listings and the revenue is outpacing by 20% year over year. Wow. Yeah. This is fascinating. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> it, it, I, I, you know, I'm kind of a hillbilly and I just look at license plates <laughs> and stuff and, and uh, having act- something to actually back it up sounds fantastic. You know, I mean, uh, you know, when I go down there, there's license plates from everywhere and lots of them, you know, and that's that's kind of. You know, the traffic gauge and John Jonathan knows all about that. You know, if you can't get a mile in an hour, then that means that there's a lot of people there. Um, so, <laughs> and my wife, my wife's known for cursing out all the tourists. And I'm like, babe, we need the tourists. Yeah. <laughs> she sees those license plates. She's like, oh, these snowbirds. Well, babe, they're bringing some money. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yeah. Well, awesome. So, John, is there any anything else, any other points that you want to make? Before we go, this has been really fascinating. I, I kind of thought I knew what was going on in this market. I really actually don't. So that was a really enlightening data. It's always fascinating to listen to you present the data that you found. I always learn something new. I appreciate that. Um, honestly, I don't really have anything else that I wanted to go over. Those are the main things that I wanted to touch on. Um you know, anyways, those are the main things I want to touch on. I think it's a, okay. I think there's a market with definitely potential. Um, it's probably not going to be your best cash flowing market out of every market that's possible, but you know, it could be a good um, equity play for sure. And, and a good place to have a vacation home as well. So anyways, that's my take. All right. Awesome. Well, guys, if you want to learn more about the Gulf Shores market, you can always join one of our Thursday Q&A calls. You can join those at strquestions.com. You can also join our Facebook group. It's the same title as my book. It's called Short-Term Rental, Long-Term Wealth. If you want to work with Jonathan in, I almost said the Smoky, sorry. <laughs> I've been dealing with that all morning. If you want to uh, work with Jonathan and Gulf Shores, email us at agents at the shop.com or you can get him directly at, at jonathan at the shop.com. And John, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, my handle is at the Airbnb data guy. Uh, I strongly recommend checking me out on YouTube. I've got three free courses there and then you'll find me everywhere else from there. So, yeah. All right. Well, thank you again so much for coming on. It's always a very educational experience. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Thanks, y'all.